na, 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 na. I'm just doing it with the music. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. And MJ, it's our last show of the year, right? It's the final show of, of 2021. Ah, we made it. We made a whole calendar year of the podcast. Remember, even 2020, we started the podcast in March, and this is our first full calendar year. So kudos to us. We're going to be... We're going to have our two-year anniversary in like three months of having the podcast. How nuts is that to think about? Yeah, it's it's kind of actually crazy. I feel like uh, it flew by because it was COVID and then not COVID and then COVID again. But here we are. Episode, what are we on? 86? 86. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to like buy a cake, I think, for 100 or something 100, like that, right? Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I'll finally get my microphone to work for 100. <laughs> maybe. Maybe maybe on this podcast and not Nick Bennett's, you'll get your microphone to work. Um, okay. All right. So we wanted to talk on the show this week about uh, something that I admittedly feel like I struggle with some when clients ask me this question or when mm-hmm. I get this question from my peers. Um, and it's the question that you get from executives all the time, right? And so you get this on the spot and you Maybe you're not prepared for it because maybe you're not wired this way. But um, I'm talking about OKRs, objective key results, KPIs, key performance indicators, benchmarks, and just goals in general. And so these are like four terms that get thrown around sometimes indiscriminately. Sometimes they're separate um, things. And I kind of wanted to talk about it with MJ because I feel like I'm not alone in someone who doesn't uh, always feel like I'm as well versed in these as I'd like to be. And I uh, wanted to kind of get a sense for MJ at Refire Trace and even at what you guys do at Refine, how you guys approach these four or any number of these, honestly, terms when they get bandied about by clients. Yeah. What do you think is the difference between an OKR and a KPI? So an OKR, I think, is is an is a key result you look for without um, sort of just objectively, what do you think the the uh, the result you're looking for is out of this? Like if you kind of if you removed sort of historical data, if you kind of looked at what you were going to spend versus what you expect to get in return. And I feel like a KPI is something you look at when you have data and you say, okay, so this is a key performance indicator to tell me that we're on our path towards, you know, meeting that OKR or not meeting it. So I, I look at KPI as something that I, I would, I would uh, say I have when I have a little, when I have data, maybe not uh, as much data as I'd like. And OKR, I almost like, it's like a, plant, a flag you plant in the ground, in my opinion, before you even get started campaigning. That's yeah. that, that's my that's that's how I've always interpreted it and approach it. But yeah. I may I may be uh, on an island on that, so I'm wondering if you feel differently about it. Well, I would say your definition is pretty similar to how we use the term OKR at Refine Labs. I don't know about how we're using OKRs with clients, but we use OKRs internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, we use them more to measure how far down the field we are advancing like strategic initiatives. I, I do think there is a book that where the guy coined the term OKR. I think it came out of Google. And so I think there actually is some kind of rigid formal definition for an OKR, but in full transparency, I attempted to read this book like I think three years ago, I actually think I tried to listen to it as an audio book and it was so boring that I just like stopped listening to it and I don't remember Fair anything said in it. So, so I when, cannot help with that. When you were at Firetrace uh, when, and when it was you owning the, the number and the results, tell me a little bit how you approached OKRs when it was something that you were responsible for in, uh, in terms of a marketing department. Yeah, so... 
Um, the bottom line at Firetrace was the bottom line, right? So we had a, there was a profit number. Mm-hmm. And then we would go through an exercise where we would make like our strategy plan. And we would only do this, like, I think we had to do a three to five year time horizon, but then also like a one year time horizon. And you had to build the PL for it. One year, one year, three year VTO. Fishing yeah. traction organizer, right? Yeah. So we, and then you had to, I thought this was really interesting. I, I've never seen another company do this. I mean, outside of helmet companies, but you had to like write a narrative about like, Ooh. this is what we're going to do in the strategy. It had to be like five pages or something, and it couldn't be longer than five pages. So that was interesting because it really was a forcing function for all of the leadership team to like sit down and talk about the strategy. And it was interesting. Five pages of strategy? Yeah, five pages. So like, and some of the pages were taken up by like a PL, right? So, okay. like, you know, the first page is like half the page is like a PL. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people would put like pictures and tables and things like that, right? But it, it couldn't be longer than five pages, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was interesting, like all the companies in the group of Halma would do this at the same time of year. And so mm-hmm. everybody was like trying to do it at the same time. And, you know, like everybody would go about it differently, right? So like when I was at SensorX, there was like different meetings to talk about the strategy. And then when I was at Firechase, we had like, I don't know, I think we had probably like eight meetings spaced out over the course of like eight weeks. Um, And each of them was like two hours long with the exec team, just like talking about random stuff, like all of the critical pieces of the strategy. And then out of this, you had to write this this strategic narrative paper, not a strategic narrative, right? In the way that marketers define it, but like yeah, yeah, your strategy. Um, and so yeah, so so I mean, at the end of the day, uh, profit was the main result, right? Um, and then revenue growth was the second one that that we were looking for. Um, and then from there, you basically it was up to you to define. Uh, based on your strategy, what are the other key things that that you're going to measure on your way to that profit and that revenue target? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it was like growth in a particular segment or growth of a new product um, that was leading the way, right? And if you hit those two things, you were, you were likely to hit your overall revenue and profit goal for the year. So that's kind of where I'll start. And I'd love to get your reaction to that. Uh, I think those things make a lot of sense. Um, you obviously, when you're in a hard good business, like profitability is that, and also, like you said, key initiatives. When we were um, when we were looking at, and I was at Benzel, and we were we were rolling out. We really were trying to get more into the. Oh, I talk about I talk about fume extraction a lot, but we really tried to get more into the handheld air cooled MIG gun market because we didn't have a strong offering in the U.S. for it. We had tried to make our own. It it kind of flopped. Um, we had tried to import every single version that was made in Germany. Uh, nothing really quite worked for the market. And then finally, Germany rolled out, um, Germany is Benzel Germany, rolled out this uh, new air-cooled torch called the Abbey MIG, the AT. And for them, it was going to be like a secondary torch offering for them in, in Europe. It was something that was more like screw-on nozzles. Uh, it was more lightweight. It was, uh, you know, it had a, it had like a rotating neck. It had all these really nice features, and it really performed well. Um, and we, and we brought it to a trade show really before we were ready to launch it, which I didn't think was. A, it was my first year doing the show, and I, I talked into it, and I didn't really wasn't really a fan of the idea, but I did it anyway, and it was a hit. I mean, people like looked at it and they loved it, and <laughs> held it, and they were like, "This thing's really comfortable. This thing's easy to weld with." Like they they just loved it, and so we knew we really felt we had a good good offering there. So I think we'd gone in. We had about I think 
maybe 5% of the, of the air-cooled mid-gun market that we, we believed. And, and our goal uh, was to be at 15% in three years. And so that torch was to lead the way based on all the numbers that we had available to us. I mean, it wasn't an exact number, but it was the, the formula we used. Um, and so that was definitely one you know, objective key result we had as a company was to increase our market penetration in air-cooled mid-gun. Um, and so I had to look at my marketing efforts and, and ask myself, okay, well, what do I need to do to, to help bring revenue in for the, the company? And so I, I looked at like part of my advertising budget and, and part of my content budget to help push that. And, and I definitely looked at pipeline I was able to generate for, for mid guns by doing that. And so, you know, I had a objective result was like, it's a $400 torch. And we tried to get accounts that had 20 or more guns. And so you do that math and that's $6,000. And so I, my goal was to create about 50 to $60,000 in revenue for the year by doing that. And so I thought I needed about $200,000 in pipeline in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually meet either, but, uh, but that was certainly the OKRs or, or the, the key results that I looked at that I thought would benefit that, that effort overall. Yeah, I think um, as stupid as it sounds, like a lot of companies where they mess up when when deciding what their objectives and key results are going to be is that they like just pull them out of thin air, right? And mm-hmm. they don't make sense with one another. And, and if you actually had to sit down and um, write a cohesive narrative that um, basically said, this is how we're going to hit all these results. I think a lot of companies just couldn't do that, which is why I like the idea of doing uh, the the exercise we did at Homo, where you actually have to write a you know a five page term paper more or less yeah. that says, hey, we're this is our P and L for next year, but we're going to hit it by growing this in this segment, and and this is who we're going to hire, and. Um, this is what we need. You know, these are the um, new products that we need to launch by X time in order to, you know, grow revenue to this rate. Like, um, I think a lot of companies are like, we're going to grow revenue ten percent, but they have no idea where that. Well, yeah, how? Yeah, it's a blanket statement. I actually, I want to do. I want to segue into one of the other terms we wanted to talk about here because I'm interested in this for you because I have an approach that I like to do with this. Um, I'm curious what yours are, and I want to talk about benchmarking. Benchmarking is another thing that a lot of executives like, and in, in of your, if you have a uh, a client, they want to, they want, they like benchmarks too. Cause they want to see like, okay, what are we benchmarking ourselves against? And like, what are we trying to outdo? Right. Yeah. And so my question to you is benchmarking when you don't have any historical data to benchmark with, how do you benchmark? How do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I, if you don't have any historical data or any like well, external data, right. An external data source, then I probably wouldn't call it benchmarking. But I do think it makes sense to, regardless of what you're going to call it, OKR, benchmarking, KPI, um, you should you should anchor your assumptions in some kind of external data source. Okay. Uh, my, one of my first what did you mentors, one of my first marketing mentors ever said, uh, uh, "In God we trust; everyone else bring data." Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question: when you when you benchmarked at Firetrace, what sources did you use to benchmark externally? Yeah. Um, so what we would do is go through extensive market research. So um, I, I always like to do this in sprints, right? So we talked last episode about customer listening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, during the same period of time when you're doing all these customer research calls, you should also be trying to get quantitative data from the market. Like what is the underlying market growth rate? Like, um, and, and you actually have to be like kind of 
sneaky sometimes about like building up. Um, what did my first mentor call it? I think he called it a fact base, right? Um, and and what he what he meant by that is like go out and get the facts of the marketplace that you can find from publicly available sources mm-hmm. and use use that and use some like reasonable assumptions to understand what you think the market size is, right? And what's the growth rate and how much of the market do you think that your company owns, right? What's your market share? Um, who are the competitors? Are you? How are you going to grow? Are you going to take market share from competitors? Or are you going to, um, is the market growing at a fast enough rate that you can hit your company growth targets just by riding that wave of the underlying growth? Like what assumptions are you going to make? Um, and you, you know, it's not a, it's not as scientific as something like making engineering calculations, right? No, like, it's not. And I, I think that's something to just repeat is it's not as scientific as you think. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like there, there's companies out there that do market research and they'll sell reports for like $5,000. And frankly, as a marketer um, who has checked my math against these reports before, um, you can build a fact base that comes within 1% of what these these people charging you $5,000 are going to come up with. Cause frankly, they're using all the same publicly available data you are. Yeah. I mean, it's what Bureau of Labor and Statistics, something from Forbes or the wall street journal, or they have stuff like that. Like you can, you can use a bunch of different media sources paying for just subscriptions there. You can get really good data probably and, and do that. But so I'm curious. So, I mean, if you're benchmarking, going back to the benchmark question, you know, if you're benchmarking like a campaign, like you're going to do lead gen or something like that, and like, let's not let's, let's look more in the micro here for benchmarking. So, okay, we're going to run this campaign for this segment. All right, we're going to use this tactic and this tactic and this tactic, and this is our ICP. And we, we need to benchmark this amount of opportunities, this amount of pipeline, because we know the average sale price, and we're going to benchmark to do this in revenue based on our historical win rate. How do you go about benchmarking that? Yeah. Um, so I think some of those things are dangerous to benchmark. I think okay. in general, the higher up the funnel you go, the more dangerous it is to benchmark because um, something like cost per opportunity, for example, is going to be hugely dependent on the dynamics of your market, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if your market is growing super fast and there's a ton of interest in your product, if you're selling air fryers right now, um, then uh, it's at, a hot at time, right? Then your cost per opportunity is probably pretty low, right? There's a ton of interest. You can just capture that yeah. demand. It's easy, whatever. There's probably a decent amount of competition too. So that's a factor. But um, the, the cost per opportunity in um, a market, like, I don't know if you're selling a wind turbine, right? Your cost per opportunity uh, might be like $5 million, but you're going to sell 100 wind turbines for $250 million. So that's an acceptable CAC for you, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in um, welding, and I don't know how much welding gear costs, but like, let's say you're selling a torch, right, for a thousand bucks, like you don't want your CAC to be more than a thousand bucks, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so unless you can get benchmark data that is hyper specific to your market, which I would imagine you can't. Um, I would not benchmark anything other than perhaps CAC payback period because CAC payback period, well, and, and for an industrial company, CAC payback period is not really a thing, but like in no. SaaS, it's like you, 
you know, how many months do you have to sell them a subscription before you break even in, in, in industrial, you should literally, your CAC should be less than the cost of the, op, the opportunity value, right? Yeah. And that's your benchmark. For sure. Okay. So benchmarking, you don't really worry much about that or, 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 or what do you, what do you think about benchmarking? I do benchmarking all the time in Refine Labs mm-hmm. um, for prospects that we are talking to, and when I when I talk about benchmarking, I look at their existing funnel, the prospects, right? So yeah. I'll, I'll have them pull a couple of things, and then I benchmark it against what we would expect um, from a, like a high performing funnel, right? So I guess this these are other safe things to benchmark is like your uh, your lead to op conversion rate. Right. Yeah. And your op to win conversion rate. Right. So yeah. those depend a lot. They still still do depend a little bit on your product and your um, and your market dynamics, but less so than something like cost per opportunity. Um, a high performing mm-hmm. funnel is going to have somewhere between a ten and a forty percent lead to op, and a, and about a twenty five percent op to win. Sure. Okay. That's good. Like that's that's a good thing to benchmark for sure. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap with goal setting. So when you're looking at setting goals, um, I want to ask, I mean, I think the easiest thing to do with goals is looking at your data from the last 12 months or last six months or wherever, and then looking at you guys, you go through the exercise of where do we have, uh, what do we want to do to grow overall? And then you look at you know, what, what the, what the growth goal is versus what you've done historically. And it's pretty easy to calculate what the goal should be at that point. Um, and then it's merely just, okay, uh, what, wh- how will we fund or resource it at that point? But I'm wondering if you approach it differently. Um, and I'm wondering how you do goal setting if there's, you know, not any historical data to go off of. Well, Gorilla is an EOS shop, right? Yeah, we are. So, so why don't, uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that because Refine Labs is implementing that right now. And I know oh, that. Oh, well, I, I, sh- I should bring our vision traction organizer out. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't know if I want to get, so we have a goal of, um, so we have a goal of, so we have a one year and a three year and a 10 year. Um, we operate, we operate more on the, the, the three year right now. Um, and so our three year goal is to be at, just did this last weekend too. Um, we're looking at three and a half million. Oh, so we look at top line revenue is one is one thing we goal. Profit margins another thing we goal. Average client retainer is another thing we goal. Top twenty five percent retainer is another thing that we goal. Um, and then there's there's non non quantifiable things like we want to build out a paid media we want to we want a paid media department in the next three years like we want like a department dedicated to doing media overall um, we want three or two or three strategists with a high level of consulting ability my name might have gotten dropped there I'm not going to sit there and just and brag about that but um um and then um, we had uh we t- and we talked about like like paying benefits and like what and what our goals were for that. So I mean for for us it's a lot of like for goal setting there's the quantifiable goals and the qualitative goals that we would look at and some of it is just simply feel and then others are things that we'll be able to look at and and Joe is and Joe's a guy who looks in his spreadsheet and he's running projections all across like if this client closes at this and they're and and they stretch out to this and then you know we and then he has all these sort of conditions that he has built in around clients not renewing or clients dropping off or something like that happening. 
And then that basically projects out hiring, the hiring roadmap and all the other things that come with it. So goals for us, um, top line revenue, profit margin, average retainer cost, average top 25% retainer cost, and then the qualitative things around people and process. Okay. And are, are any of those standardized as part of EOS? EOS, by the way, for anyone who's listening to this, is this is an acronym. Entrepreneurial Operating System. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And you can buy, the, there's like seven different books on it, right? For different people in the organization, but yeah, you can get, you can go to their website and figure out which one is, is best for you. No, it's Gino Wickham, I think. It's Wickham or Wickman? Wickham. Yeah. It's Gino Wickham. It's uh, Traction is the name of the, is the, is the seminal piece of the book. And then there's like a, sh- uh, like a quick guide called what the heck is EOS that I, I'd also recommend you pick up. Um, what was the question again? Uh, are there, so I have not read this book yet, although it's literally sitting on my desk right now, it's still in the prime packaging. Um, <laughs> uh, so asked there, me to send it to you. <laughs> yeah, I probably could have. I don't even know if Traction is the one that I bought because there was like seven. I bought the one for senior leadership teams. Okay. Um, uh, okay, so is there standard stuff that you measure all the time in EOS, or did you guys pick out uh, your own things? And EOS is more about the meeting cadence and the framework. Um, there's there's always things that you track in, in EOS. There's like six things, and I'm I'm gonna get tested here. Um, it's there's like there's people, there's process, there's data, there's um, vision. Does everyone know the vision? Uh, traction overall. And then the other one is I'm escaping me and, I'm, and, and if someone from Gorilla listens to this, they're going to shout at me in Slack tomorrow uh, about it. But there's like, there's, there's six things you're tracking kind of all the time. Um, and that kind of gives you a sense of your overall direction as a, as a company o- overall. And so the goals are, are, are things you do in the VTO. And so you do a one year VTO and then you do a three year VTO. And the one year is you kind of, is you're looking year to year. And then every year at the end of the year, you look at your three-year VTO and you ask yourself, do we need to amend this based on the one year or, or can we or can we keep it the same? Some companies go stretch it back out to another three years and do it all over again. Uh, we tried to keep it relatively the same and, and, and made what small adjustments we felt were necessary to the three-year, but we were still building towards 2023. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll come back around and, and answer this question from my perspective. From an in, for an industrial company... I think, uh, first of all, keep it simple, right? You can't have too many goals. And um, there's a difference between company level goals and department goals. Um, So I don't know, I think you could maybe do four or five of each maximum, right? So and your and your company or your department level goals should roll up into the company level goals, right? So yeah, an example of a company level goal would be like, we want to double our sales into the renewable energy segment, right? And then within marketing, it's like, okay, we want to generate X dollars of marketing source pipeline with renewable energy companies. And clearly that's going to support your company level goal. Right. Um, and then also just knowing how you'll budget that for yourself. I mean, it, it's good to say it, but without like sort of thinking like, here's my budget and here's how much we'll dedicate. So we're trying to achieve that goal. It's also useful. Yeah, and and um, if it's really a company level goal, if it's one of the top four or five things that your company needs to be doing, the company should be resourcing that effectively. And if they're not, yeah. it's really a company level goal, right? Um, no. But that's something that your leadership team needs to grapple with. So I'd say four or five for the company, four or five for each department or key team within the business that support the four or five at the company level. And all of those things should be really resourced appropriately. And then, I mean, at the company level, I'd just be looking at it as, is this a uh, growth 
supporting objective or is this a cost savings objective, right? Mm-hmm. In an industrial company, it's there's probably going to be a couple about growth and a couple about cost. And, and, you know, as long as they all make sense and you've got a clear narrative on how you can deliver and achieve that and, and you're planning appropriately to, to put the resources in place to execute, then that's a, that's a solid uh, one-year plan, I think. For sure. So let me ask you a question on goals like year over year. So like you have a goal for one year, you meet it or exceed it. How do you how do you adjust the goal for the following year? How do you approach that? Yeah, I think you have to I think you have to really consider underlying market growth rate, especially in mm-hmm. industrial, right? Like um gosh, you see again, I always say this on this podcast. I've been harping on it, but like uh, you see all these crazy like SaaS companies, we're going to 2x, we're going to 3x revenue, whatever. Part of the reason that they're able to do that is because they're spending 100% of their revenue on sales and marketing and they're just burning cash, right? So um, and a lot of times they're in hyper growth markets, right? Like that's the that's the reason why a VC went and put a bunch of cash into that company in the first place. Like it's a land grab, right? That's not the situation you're in if you're in an industrial company. Correct. So like understand the market growth rate is probably like three or four percent in most in, in most industrial end markets that you're selling into, um, and then like. Can, you know, you have to be an exceptional company to grow at 2x the market growth rate, right? Or um, you, you know, you have to have an exceptional product that is stealing market share from competitors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would benchmark it against the external market conditions and not just against your performance from prior year. Now, your performance from prior year would probably help to indicate whether or not you have the momentum to continue at that growth um, and whether or not you have an exceptional product and an exceptional company, right? So it's a good data point to have, but it's not the only data point to use when you're when you're when you're deciding what your growth goal should be. Great feedback. All right. Anything else you want to add there? This is this is all you. I I learned a lot listening to you talk about that. That was great. It was it was an interesting uh, interesting topic. I I felt like it was a good chance to try to keep it simple and go back to basics. So I think that's a good place to end off on. No doubt. Let's do that. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, you can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a written review. Tell MJ and I how great we are, if you could. And uh, this is our last show for 2021. So we'll be back next year. Um, we'll have new shows. We'll have new guests. We have a couple people lined up, I think, to, to come on. Uh, at least one that I'm working on. Um, and, uh, yeah, we hope we wish all y'all a great, uh, restful holiday and a wonderful new year and hope y'all get some rest. I know I need it (laughs) and, uh, come back recharged and ready to go. So for the industrial marketing show, my name is Matt and I'm MJ and thank y'all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your holiday. (laughs) 